tonight will be from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Good evening. Before we begin, uh, just one thing I'd like to mention, if you're a young adult or perhaps you're one of the more experienced among us but you're young at heart, um, one thing that we've been doing every other Thursday is just having a brief study. Um, well, I say brief, that's probably stretching it a little bit, but we've been going through the book of James right now just on a series called Keeping Your Faith Alive and we've been having a great time doing that series and it's a lot of fun being there with them. So just if you are at all interested in coming or if you think you might fit into that group, just come, we'd love to have you, seriously. It's such a great time time, um, and we are looking to do even more things in 2023. So I greatly appreciate you guys, and um, for those of you who, again, fit into that category, just feel free to come. No problems at all. You may be surprised to know that the story of David and Goliath is one of the most culturally accepted stories in all of the Bible. Now, what do I mean by this? You have, for example, in 2013, Malcolm Gladwell dropping a book called David and Goliath. And while the book itself was critically panned, what a lot of people said was that the book felt patronizing because no one's gonna disagree with the idea that, uh, that underdog stories are good to see. Everybody loves seeing a story about someone who overcomes impossible odds and ends up being the David in their Goliath story, right? Nobody has any issue with that. So what a lot of people had took issue with in that book was that they felt condescended to. And yet the, the truth remains clear. Underdog stories are entertaining to us. They encourage us, they inspire us. But let me just say this evening that if that's all we glean from the story of David and Goliath, we're missing a pretty big portion of what the story is truly about. If we leave God out of the narrative of David and Goliath, we are missing the totality of what God is trying to make clear to us in 1 Samuel 17. It's true that David and Goliath, this narrative is not just for kids, but it's not just because of what happens to Goliath at the end of the story. It's also because of the profundity that's found in the courage of a godly man bringing glory and honor to God. That's the point of the story, really. It's about showing how a God-honoring courage brings honor and glory to his name and how he can inspire God's people to take a similar level of courage. What we want to spend some time this evening doing is just reflecting on that. So as we go through the story of David and Goliath, we're going to just talk about some introductory matters in the battle's prelude. We'll talk about Goliath, we'll talk about David, but then we'll finally conclude with talking about God's glory itself, which is the main focal point of the entire narrative. So let's go ahead and start here, if I can turn the remote on first, probably a good idea. There we go, the battle's prelude. The battle's prelude. We, the story begins and you have the Philistines and the Israelites geographically and from a literary perspective, they're on opposite sides of the mountain. They're, this is meant to be significant to us. Now we know the Philistines were shown to be a very morally abhorrent people. They were shown to be very just spiritually bankrupt. And when the Israelites go to battle against them, this is a spiritual battle at the end of the day, but we're gonna get there. 
So initially we have the armies that come into battle here, the Philistine armies versus the, versus the Israelite armies. The Philistines are actually introduced into the narrative first, interestingly enough. But as the narrative goes on, you're gonna find a bit of a shift that happens. You're gonna find that it goes from the Philistine armies to talking about Goliath. And then you're gonna find that the Israelite armies, it takes a focus down to David. Now, the significance of this is that the story goes from a communal, talking about the peoples themselves, the armies themselves, to becoming personal. And when it comes to this point where it's between David and Goliath, that's where we have our, our title for this entire lesson, David and Goliath. So at the very beginning here, they're getting ready to do battle. So going from verses four through 11, then we start talking about Goliath himself after we've talked about the battle's prelude. And this begins by talking about Goliath's arrogance. Goliath's arrogance. We've introduced the story. Let's talk about Goliath here. Now, first things first, this man was huge. He was nine and a half feet tall. The joke has been made a million times. I'm going to be the a million and first person to say it. He would have made it to any basketball team he would have signed up for. I've gotten it out of my system. Thank you. <laughs> he was so incredibly tall, and that was part of why he had such a reputation. And he was arrayed with a champion's armor. He clearly knew what he was doing on the battlefield. And that was a big deal. He even had a shield bearer. Now, why would that point be significant? Well, it's because if you had a shield bearer, that means someone trusts you enough with their very life to carry your weaponry with them and to follow you into any battle that you're in. There's a loyalty that's shown here. I mean, think about Jonathan's own shield bearer in 1 Samuel 16 and how loyal that shield bearer was. We can presume a similar kind of loyalty in this shield bearer perhaps. Now, are any of these things inherently wrong? Being a military champion, having a shield bearer, being tall, are any of these things innately wrong? Not necessarily. But let me tell you what was wrong with Goliath, though. It was his pompous attitude towards the Israelites, and it was his pompous attitude towards God. Let's take a minute and talk about that. In verse eight, you find that he gloats over the Israelites. Here's what he says. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. But my favorite part of this is what he says at the very beginning. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? He quite literally is saying, why are you here? He, he's saying that their whole purpose of being out there on the battlefield is null and void. There was no point in them being there, he claims. He's quite literally gloating over them. This arrogance is showing itself in this initial speech. But then it gets worse in verse nine. Now, of course, culturally, it was a customary thing for whatever side lost the battle to be enslaved to the side that won the battle. That, a lot of that is just a, a cultural custom. However, here's what wasn't necessarily a custom. One person deciding he was gonna take that into his own hands and claim that for everyone else. He says in verse nine, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Let me tell you what I would have done if I was a Philistine here. I would have put my hand up and said, uh, Goliath, I didn't sign up for this. This was not my job. Do not put me in the spotlight here. I am not signing up to be these people's servants. But Goliath's arrogance was so strong that he felt the need, he felt this compulsion to potentially put his own people's lives in jeopardy. That's what arrogance does. It endangers people around it. It endangers the people that it should be cherishing. Arrogance is all about self and completely denies the, the significance of the lives around them. 
And that's exactly what Goliath proceeds to do. Look in verses 10 through 11, and what ends up happening is that he strikes fear into the Israelites. This is a very terrible scene here. It says in verse 11 that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That is a great way of rendering that. They were terrified at what they were hearing from him. And what you'll find in verse 16 is that he'd been prattling on about this for 40 days. So for 40 days, this hulking behemoth just comes and makes the same speech and just continues to intimidate and bully them verbally. You can see very clearly his problem was not what he had, it was what he did with what he had. His problem was not his accomplishments, it was how he boasted in himself because of those accomplishments. Do we see that? So the story takes some time to introduce Goliath to us and to introduce this central conflict at the very forefront, Goliath being a very pompous person. But then the narrative shifts and it begins to talk about David, a meek and lowly individual who winds up helping the Israelites out, a big deal here. David's courage, David's courage in verses 12 through 40 is the next item to consider here. What do we know about David then? We talked a little bit about Goliath's background. What about David? Well, we know, first of all, that he was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. Eight. He's the youngest among them. So very clearly, he's probably not the one who's going to be out on the battlefield, right? He's going to be the one who is in that shepherd's role, right? While the older brother's going to be the ones going out to battle and risking their lives, David was expected to stay put. That is, of course, unless he was asked to attend to his older brothers, right? And that's, that's, of course, what ends up happening in verses 16 through 18 is that Jesse urges him to go and basically just check on them, to feed them, make sure that they're okay. That is basically the extent of what David is able to do here, or at least that's the extent of what they would have wanted for him to do. From the very beginning here, we find that David is different than Goliath, When Jesse tells him to do this, he goes and he does it. He's concerned about the people around him. He's concerned about taking care of the people that he is supposed to love. And then when he gets to the battlefield, Goliath is making his speech and he's he's saying it over and over again. And what we find is that David is entirely unimpressed by what Goliath is saying, completely unimpressed by his posturing. Here's what he says in verse 26. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Pay attention to those last four words. They are some of the most important words in this entire narrative. Of the living God. That was the issue here. And because of that, David is repulsed by Goliath's attitude towards the Israelites. This wasn't just about his kindred. This was about their God. And that's why this was so significant to him. He is unimpressed by Goliath's show here. And what ends up happening is that he shows himself to be unwavering. He shows himself to be unwavering even when he's rebuked. You know, yes, David and Goliath is the central conflict of the story, but know what happens between him and Eliab, his oldest brother. What ends up happening is Eliab goes and he's angry against David. He goes to him and he says in verse 28, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. And David just innocently and meekly asks, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? 
And what it shows in verse 30 is that he ends up going and just speaking in the exact same way to the men all over again. He just repeats himself. He continues to say, this Philistine is nothing. But then another situation happens where he's seemingly rebuked or at least seemingly belittled and very much underestimated. It's when Saul actually responds to him. And David says to Saul initially in verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, verse 33, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. You are out of your league, Saul says. You have no chance in this battle. And yet, David then proceeds to talk about his life as a shepherd and to show he's done a little bit more than perhaps Saul is giving credit for here. In verse 36, he says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies, here it is again, of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And what does Saul say in response? Go, and the Lord be with you. He's able to change Saul's mind about the whole situation, it seems, at least on the surface. He was unwavering even when he was potentially discouraged here. And this is what sticks out. He only took, out his, he only took his staff, five stones, and his bag. Now, why did he take five stones instead of one? I've heard claims that this was because he didn't have enough faith that one stone would do the job. I've heard others say that he took five because he was ready to take out Goliath's brothers as well. But can I just say that doesn't matter. The narrative doesn't tell us. The point is he took stones rather than a sword. That's the point here. There, there is so much symbolism to be had in this story, but let's not miss the forest for the trees here. He didn't bring armor and a sword. He brought himself, his staff, his five stones, and his bag, and he said he was ready to fight. That is significant. And it's with these things, with these items, that he goes into battle with Goliath. David's courage is astounding here. What we're gonna see in this next section, the main focal point of this story, is how God was glorified by David's courage. So let's go back to this chart here. We talked about how the narrative begins in a very communal way. It's talking about the armies. It's talking about the people groups themselves. And it becomes personal, now being between Goliath and David themselves. But there's one more shift that happens, and I've already alluded to this, but there's a final shift that happens here, and it goes now from personal to spiritual. We've taken a shift now from just being about Goliath to being about the false gods that Goliath worshiped. We've gone from talking about David to the true God that he was serving in this battle. This is what matters, friends. The fact that this was a spiritual narrative. This is not meant to be a thrilling war narrative. This is not meant to be a movie. This is not meant to be something that's just incredibly enthralling for us to act out and, and have battles on, not at all. This is meant to be a story about God and his superiority against all false gods, including those of the Philistines. That's the point here. With that said, let's go to the focal point of the story. My favorite part of the story, God's glory. Verses 41 through 58, God's glory here. And first of all, there's a contrast between what each individual boasts in. 
We find, first of all, that Goliath boasts in himself and in his gods. Look at verses 41 through 44 here. He says in verse 40, it says in verse 42 that when he looked and he saw David, it says that he disdained him. He, it was more than just looking down on him. He was offended by the fact that they would bring someone like David to him. And again, remember, he wasn't wearing any armor, didn't bring a sword. And we don't know how old David was. I don't have any, any way of definitively knowing how old he was here. But what I do is that he was young enough to basically offend Goliath by his very existence on the battlefield here. And that's the big point. And what he says in verse 43, or rather what he asks in verse 43 is this, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks, likely referring to his staff? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Goliath boasts in himself and in his gods. That's all that he's concerned about. What does David do in contrast? Well, I would be doing a disservice if I abbreviate this. We're just gonna read the quote all over again. Start in verse 45 with me. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beast of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. This speech has been commended even by the most staunch of atheists for just how profound it is. And certainly as Christians who believe in the living God, we should find this even more powerful than, than those who disagree with us would, right? This is a powerful statement of faith here. And if we have somehow missed the spiritual focus of the story up until this point, it is literally just hitting you in between the eyes. It's right there, the spiritual focus of this story because David doesn't boast in himself. He doesn't boast in something or someone who is false. David boasts in the Lord. There's a difference that's, that's made between these two individuals. And the story doesn't really waste any time. Uh, David quickly wins. Like we mentioned, this is not meant to be some captivating war narrative. This is showing just how, how the glory of God entirely supersedes anything that could come into contact with it. David quickly wins. Verse 49, David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. That's it. Sorry, it's kind of anticlimactic, but yeah, the anticipation here was not about the battle. The anticipation was showing how God just completely humiliated the Philistines here. And what winds up happening within this moment is he ends up inspiring the Philistines here. Yes, David ends up cutting off Goliath's head with his own sword. That, that is pretty cool, I admit. But that's not the point here. The point is what he inspires the Israelites to do. If you look in verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and they pursued the Philistines. And the verse later goes on to show that the Philistines were wounded. They clearly began to really give it their all in this battle because of what David was willing to do. I don't think it's an accident that this part of the narrative is put after the battle between David and Goliath. 
Clearly what David was able to do was inspire the Israelites through his boldness. And we need to pay careful attention to that. We need to figure out how we can mirror that in our own lives. And here's what ultimately comes out in all of this. First of all, is that David amazed King Saul. He was so impressed by what he had done. Now there's a lot of contention about where this takes place chronologically. How does he not seem to recognize who, who David's father is now? But again, force for the trees here. Let's catch the point that he brought honor to his father's household. And if, you, and if someone ends up asking, a king ends up asking who your father is, that means you did a pretty good job. That's the purpose to not miss here. But more than anything, God was glorified by David's courage. That's really it, cut and dry. God was glorified by David's courage. God was honored by what David was able to do in his boldness. And this boldness was not misplaced. There is no boldness that can be had in the Lord that is misplaced if it is truly based on his word. That's what this narrative is about. God's glory. So up until this point, it's possible that you've been thinking, okay, what are the lessons going to be for this? Well, as I mentioned from the beginning here, a lot of people view this as a classic underdog story. And I do believe that there, is, there are some applications to be made here that relate to that. I'm not here to disparage or ridicule anyone for finding that application here because there's something to be said about people of God taking courage in their God, right? At the same time, encouragement is indeed to be found from this story behind all the textual analysis, all the exegesis, all these different things, all the points. There are lessons to be gained that can encourage us this evening. And here's what three of them are. There are so many more to glean, but here are just three. First of all, godly confidence, godly courage inspires others and does not endanger them. Think about what Goliath was able to do in his arrogance. He put all of his men's lives on the line just so that he could prove a point and prove that he was all that in a bag of chips. What godly confidence does, however, is it inspires people. It lifts them up and it does not tear them down. What David did by his courage was that he inspired the Israelites to really take heart in this battle against the Philistines. When they were previously so afraid, so greatly dismayed, they pursue the Philistines and just greatly wound them. That's what godly courage is able to do. Second of all, God's might always prevails against man's might. Always. There is no plan, no scheme, no counsel that can prevail against the Lord. We know that from Scripture. We know that there is no plan that a man can make to try and outsmart the Lord that's actually going to work. God will always win. As a matter of fact, he already has. There's no coup that can work against the Lord. There's no battle strategy that can work against the Lord. It will never be enough. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. And he always wins. And finally, faith in God is able to overcome any challenge. Now, when we use the word overcome, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single situation in our lives will just be instantly alleviated because we have faith in God. We understand there are some situations where faith in God will make things easier because our focus is put in a better place. Perhaps some things will be easier for us to emotionally digest, but 
The point used in the word overcome here is simply that faith in God is stronger than whatever someone's challenge is. He is greater, he is better, he is stronger than whatever challenge faces us, Christians. I can't think of a verse that wraps this up better than 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. To be alert, to stand firm in the faith, be courageous and remain strong. Ephesians 6 tells us that we need to be strong in the Lord and only in, what does it say, in our might or in his might? It says in his. What this narrative teaches us at the end of the day is that godly courage has the ability to lift others up and to glorify God, and we need to remember that. Maybe this lesson is different from what we were all expecting in a way. It's not really about the expectations, it's more about what does God want for us to draw out of the text. And I believe what he wants for us to see is that godly courage is able to glorify him. And also, he wants for us to know the all-surpassing power of faith in the God who created this universe, the God who's able to save us from our sins, and the God who's able to help you in your struggle today. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey this evening. Maybe you're in need of prayers at this moment. Maybe you're in need of strength. Maybe you want to study, and we'd be so happy to do that with you. But for those in this audience who perhaps are not New Testament Christians at this point, I need you to know that it's impossible to be strong in the Lord if you are not in the Lord. The promise that we can take assurance in knowing that the Lord is our God is only for those who have him as their God. So if you need to come and repent of your sins, be baptized for the remission of your sins, we want to let you do that tonight. We wanna talk with you, we wanna love on you, and if, again, if there's anything that's needed, we want to address that. But we ultimately learn from David and Goliath is that godly courage has great power. And if you're, in need, of, if you're in need of strength in any way this evening, please come forward now as we stand and sing.